over the last few months, I've been, a few months, a few weeks, I've been journeying through a, a sermon titled uh, After Exile. And I was hoping to finish this week. I've just got, God was just showing me so much stuff, so it's going to finish next week. So next week's the, uh, the end of this series. Um, but we've been looking at the nation of Israel, how they returned after 70 years, exiled away from their, uh, their, their family, from their farms, from their community, from their worship, from their, their, their temple in Jerusalem. And we've been wrestling with the question, what do we do when we feel God has let us down or God has abandoned us? We've been trying to figure out how can we deal with being disappointed with God? When we, we wrestle with the questions, is God faithful? Will God come through? What about when things aren't looking good? Where's God in the midst of that? Does, does God give us everything we want, like a genie in a bottle? Or does God give, faithfully give us everything He's promised us? So, And I think I'm, I'm really encouraged to hear some of the stories from Stacy's messages yesterday, because I think what I'm going to share today is going to dovetail with some of that. And so some of these are big questions for us. And, and that's the tension that the nation of Israel lived in when they, when they returned out of exile back to Jerusalem. And uh, last week I started one verse, well, I started with one verse, and I wanted to point out three quick thoughts in this one verse from last week, then I'll rebuild where we're going to get to today. So Ezra chapter 3, verse 7. Um, then the people hired masons and carpenters and bought uh, the logs from the people of Tyre and Sidon, paying them with food, wine, and olive oil. The logs were brought down from the Lebanon mountains and floated along the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa, where King Cyrus had given permission for this. You're thinking, so what? That's just a bit of information. But I think this is really powerful. So, uh, three quick things here. I want you to notice that the people of Israel started to do trade with the nations around them. For, for centuries, the nation of Israel were, were scorned and attacked and really lost their identity as a nation. But now, they're starting to trade with other nations. Other, they're bringing foreign tradesmen in to help them rebuild the cities and temples. They bought logs down uh, from Tyre and Sidon, which came from the Lebanon mountains. That's really important, and you'll see that in a second. Um, and all of this happened under the approval of a pagan king. King Cyrus, he gave them authority, permission, and protection to do what they're doing. And so this is, that's, that's from last week. I asked you to remember that, and I know none of you would, so I thought I'd um, start again with that one. So, so the people returned under the leader whose name is Zerubbabel, and they rebuilt their farms, they rebuilt their, uh, their homes, they re-established their, their town and their leadership, and now it was time for them to rebuild the temple of God. And so, verse 10 in Ezra chapter 3. So when the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, the descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord, He is good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. Now, I'm not going to preach last week's message again, but I really believe that what I shared last week is significant when it comes to the foundations that we have in our life and celebrating what God has done, what but primarily built on the Jesus, the cornerstone, the foundation of our lives. And so here we find the foundation of the new temple was laid. And the Israelites threw a massive party. 
trumpets, cymbals, singing, and they're praising God for His promises and for His faithfulness. However, not everyone was singing. Some of them were sighing. Not everyone was worshipping. Some of them, we will discover, were weeping. In verse 12, But many of the older priests, Levites, and the other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. So here we're finding, out of the, the thousands of tens of thousands of people that returned, the older generation, those who had seen the old temple, they started weeping. And it wasn't just little, little sniffs and little tears going down their cheeks. It says that um, the joyful shouting and weeping were mingled together in a loud noise so that it could be heard in the distance. So here we have people coming back from exile, rebuilding their homes and their farms and their land, rebuilding the altar. They lay the foundation of the temple and they are so excited to get back together again. So excited to have the temple of the Lord rebuilt, the foundation of the Lord. But this other group, they wept. As I said, it wasn't just a whisper. They were wailing. In fact, the Bible tells us that, uh, that it was as loud as the cymbals and trumpets. You know, if you were to get the, uh, the, the trumpets and cymbals making a cloud, loud noise here and the cheer coming up, the crying and the wailing was just as loud. Ezra was very intentional in writing that. There was significant hurt, significant pain, and a significant cry that was coming up from this older generation. And so, have you ever wondered why they were crying? Why they were so upset? So maybe they were tired. You know, when you're tired, you get a bit weepy. Anyone else like that? No one. Just Meredith and me. <laughs> we're all the time for Mel. So, um, it's, it's, it's not just that the temple foundation was smaller than the last temple foundation, which it was. But, but we're not actually told why. All we're told in Scripture is that they saw the foundation and they wept and they cried and they wailed. And so I think this is really important because, and this is why I want to get to it and wrestle through in today's message here, because I think they were crying because they remembered a promise that God gave them long ago. But they didn't think the promise would look like this. They were, the, 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 they were banking on God doing something. They were expecting God to do something. But, but what they were looking at looked nothing to what they expected God to do. They were shocked when it is not what they'd hoped for. When God did not deliver what they wanted. And so we're going to go back about 150 years before this event. We're going to go to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 60. Now, the prophet Isaiah, he was speaking a word from God to the nation of Israel. But the timeline of this is amazing. So uh, he's actually, Isaiah is going to say these words in a minute. He's going to say these words. Uh, well, in, in the history of Israel, the, the northern kingdom of Israel were defeated and taken to Assyria in 722 BC and uh, in between 722 BC and, and about 590 to 586 BC the southern tribes of Israel and southern kingdom they face attack and opposition and constant bombardment from the enemy and so, so Isaiah was talking what he's about to say in between those times 
It was before the it was before they were taken captive to Babylon. So so Isaiah is about to say something before Jerusalem was destroyed, before the temple was demolished. Isaiah is about to say something that is going to. Uh, this is before Cyrus was appointed king, and I said at least 150 years before they returned home. And I was just thinking, yeah, God knows what the future holds. And as I was just worshipping this morning, I was reminded, I know if you're watching your news feeds, they're talking about a new variant. I remember my word, my Bible tells me that Jesus said that he's the Alpha and the Omega. I don't care what Greek letter they give the next variant of the virus. Jesus is the one who's greater than that. And so I really believe that he's the Alpha and the Omega. He is also the Delta and the Omicron and whatever else may come because Jesus is greater than all that. And the best thing that I'm reading this, I'm discovering that God holds the future. God is about to speak something to a future time through the prophet Isaiah, which shows me that God is in front of us. No matter what is going to come, and we don't know what's going to come, that no matter what is, God is going to show us that he is already in front of us. And that gives me great hope. That gives me great peace. That gives me great joy knowing, you know what, I don't know what's going to come tomorrow or the next day, but I know God's going to be with me and God's already in front of me. Back to Him. And so, um, from, from God's vantage point, from God's, God, God's position in all of it, everlasting and eternity, the, the one who knows from the beginning, the, the beginning from the end, He gives the nation of Israel an incredible promise. The city of Jerusalem, he gives a beautiful promise. And, uh, and so Isaiah heard from God and spoke directly to this generation that is weeping. The generation that is so distraught because the promise of God, the, what they expected, didn't come to pass. This older generation who are weeping, they are the ones that would have known what Isaiah said. These are the guys that they would have remem- should have remembered the promises of God. And so God is going to be reminding uh, the the nation of Israel through Isaiah 150 years earlier that no matter what comes, that you can count on Him. No matter what the future holds, that you can bank on God's faithfulness and His goodness and His power and His presence. And so let's go to Isaiah chapter 60. You may have heard some of these verses and they're an incredible uh, glimpse of God's promise to the nation of Israel. He says in uh, verse 1, Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All the nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your hearts will thrill with joy. For merchants from all around the world will come to you. They will bring you the wealth of many lands. Remember, Isaiah is prophesying this from heaven 150 years before the nation of Israel was back with a demolished city and a demolished temple. Verse 10, this is really important, this one. Foreigners will come and rebuild your towns. Do you remember what was happening in Ezra? They're talking about they were hiring masons, and and carpenters they were hiring foreigners to come and do what to rebuild and their kings will serve you 
And so do you remember the king that had given them permission and, and, and provision and authority? So we're finding here, this is, Isaiah here is talking about the exact events that were happening in the nation of Israel, in the story of Ezra that we're walking through. And so I think that's just really amazing how Isaiah is so precise. Isaiah could see down the future and actually know that time is going to come when, when foreigners, when, when the, the nations are going to be building you. And then we go to verse 13. The glory of Lebanon will be yours. The forests of Cyprus, fir and pine, to beautify my sanctuary, my temple will be glorious. Again, we see a direct reference from the prophet Isaiah 150 years before that is saying that they are going to be bringing in cedar logs from the mountains of Lebanon. I think that's amazing. Because uh, Lebanon is just the north of the nation of Israel, and there's two major coastal cities, Tyre and Sidon. And so the same cities that are mentioned in Ezra, where, where God was saying to the, to the nation, we're going to go to these cities and get your water, and get your carpenters, and get your, your mason workers. God is saying, I, God is that powerful. God is saying, I am so powerful that I will move in the hearts of foreigners, people that you don't know, people who were once opposed to you, people who were once fighting against you, that God is saying, I'm going to move in their hearts and they're going to help you with what I'm calling you to do. Lebanon will provide for you what you need to rebuild my home. It's forest, it's trades, and it's wealth. And I think that is so amazing. And so um, now we come to a bit of a... a uh, it may sound a bit weird. So I'm going to read it and you can figure it out yourself. Um, the descendants of your tormentors will come and bow down before you. Those who despised you will kiss your feet. They will call you the city of the Lord and Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Though you were once despised and hated, with no one travelling through you, I will make you beautiful forever, a joy to all nations. Powerful kings and mighty nations will satisfy your every need, as though you were a child nursing at the breast of a queen. You will know at last that I, the Lord, am your Saviour and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Israel. Now look, I get that, that's a bit of strange language there, but what, effectively what Isaiah is prophesying here, he's saying to Israel, yeah, you were once a great nation. You were once a royal priesthood. You were, you were once the, 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 the pride of the, of the area, and, and, but that was taken away from you. And we know that happened when they were exiled both to Assyria and to, and to Babylon. Effectively, as a, as a little child and infant, you are going to grow up and rise up again and take the position that, that God has ordained for them in the kingdom of God. Effectively, I will give God saying, I'm going to give you again what you used to have. Your prominence, your power, your prestige, and your position. And then, go, then God goes on in verse 17 to describe what their future can look like. I'll exchange your bronze for gold, and your iron for silver, your wood for bronze, and your stones for iron. I will make peace your leader, and righteousness your ruler. Violence will disappear from your land, and the desolation and destruction of war will end. Salvation will surround you like city walls, and praise will be on the lips of all those who enter there. No longer will you need the sun to shine by day, nor the moon to give us its light by night. For the Lord your God will be an everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set, your moon will not go down, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your days of mourning will come to an end. All your people will be righteous. They will possess their land forever, for I will plant them there with my own hands in order to bring myself glory. The smallest family will become a thousand people, and the tiniest group 
will become a mighty nation. At the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. I want you for a moment to put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites. Years before they were exiled to Babylon and years before they were given freedom to return from Babylon, before all that, the older generation knew that promise. That they knew that because the prophet Isaiah had told them, there'll be a day when you return and you will rebuild the city. And God is saying, I'm going to be with you. And I will save you and I will bring righteousness to you. And God's saying, I'm going to shine the light on you. And there'll be literally no darkness. There'll be no violence and there'll be no war. What an incredible prophecy that Isaiah would deliver 150 years ago. What an incredible promise of God. God is going to do all this. How would that make you feel? That would make you feel pretty excited. That God is going to do, He's going to restore us, He's going to shine on us, He's going to give favor, there'll be no, we're all going to be righteous, and God's going to do all this. Wouldn't that be great? What a wonderful promise of God for the nation of Israel. True, do you agree with me? Give me a hand if you agree. What a, what a wonderful promise for a nation. I mean, if God spoke that over us, wouldn't that be wonderful? If it's so good, I wonder then, I wonder why. If this promise is so good and so powerful, why on earth then were people crying? If the promise of God was so significant and beautiful and radiant, how could this older generation weep so loudly when they had this amazing promise from God? What's going on here? I think it's because it wasn't happening the way they expected. Although it wasn't happening when they expected it to happen. God did say, and I want to tell you, you can always bank on God's promises. God did say, He will make it happen at the right time. At the right time, I will make it happen. They thought, you know what? God is going to fulfill Isaiah 60 as soon as we get back. God's going to give us all of this and do all of this. And, and He's promised us this that it's all going to happen. That the day we get back from, from captivity, the day we get back from exile. But it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right time. And I know there's people here today and you're watching online or you're sitting and you're wondering where is this promise of God? I'm going to tell you two things. Number one, God's promises are true. But just maybe it's not the right time. And I know it's frustrating. And I know it's hard. And I know it, you're just struggling to keep it together. But can I just suggest to you, just maybe if God's promise for you hasn't quite come to pass, it may just not be the right time. So the nation of Israel were, were looking at all the external circumstances. They're saying, okay, sure, there's a foundation here. I, I can see the foundation, but, but where's the rest? Where's everything else God promised me? Why hasn't it turned out the way I was expecting or hoping or praying? Now, go back to our original question as I started this morning. Have you ever felt let down by God? Have you ever felt that, that He did not come through on His promise to you? Maybe a relationship or, or your marriage. 
And you're saying, God, you said you'd make this work. Maybe your finances and you're saying, God, I've been faithful and you, you promised that you'd bless me. Maybe your health and you're saying, God, you promised that I'd be healed. Maybe in your struggles and you're, and you're saying, God, you, you, you said you'd help me overcome this thing or this thought or this anxiety or this habit. And it just hasn't. It just, you said you'd help me and it hasn't worked. Maybe your family, you're thinking, God, you, you promised that you, that my, my kids would be okay or my parents would sort this relationship thing out and your family is just... Maybe you said, God, you promised this. What's happening? Maybe it's in your work and you said, God, God, you said this is where I'm going to flourish. And, but, but what's happening here? Have you ever felt down, let down by God? And the reality is, we all face this sometime. And we look at the promise... And we wonder, will this ever happen? And the Jews who were weeping, the Jews who were wailing and, and were so distraught, you know what? They felt exactly like you do. They are responding. Often how we respond. And, and the thing is, many people walk away from Christianity at this point. They, they, they believe God is a divine butler. Who can just you know, do our bidding at our time when we want him to do it. And if he doesn't come through the way they expect, they say, well, God, well, you're not that good, good, oh. <laughs> They're thinking, God, you're not that faithful. You, 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 I've been promised this thing. And I think sometimes the church, we, I don't know, Maybe we're, we're presenting the wrong promise of God. Or maybe, maybe we create an expectation when God does our bidding. And that he's our servant. And that he must do what we want. Maybe the church has presented the wrong view of God. So people, when they, when they come and, and they don't receive a healing. Or they don't receive a blessing. Or, or things don't seem to be going from, from, from worse to better. They say, well, well, the promise doesn't work. It's all a fast. And I'm out of here. And I'm sure you know people who have, who have walked away from God. Now, they may not articulate it like this. They may not have figured it out like this. But I think this is what happens. That they, they have an expectation. They have this, this, this promise. It's going to happen. And yet, what happens when it doesn't happen? What happens when the healing doesn't come? What happens when the breakthrough isn't there? That's where the nation of Israel were. And they cannot reconcile... What to do when God doesn't do what they expect. They can't handle it when God's timing is different to theirs. So what do they do? They weep. They weep. They, 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 they cry. They, 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 they stop trusting. They stop believing. Some even stop worshipping. And I think that is where some people may be today. Sure, we've come back from exile. Our, our nation is opening up and you know, a whole range of things are shifting and, and it's, that's good to see. And our church is able to come back together again. How wonderful is that, that we can come together corporately. What a great time of worship. How good was that this morning? You know, it's such a beautiful experience of the presence of God corporately. And so, so we as a, the, the church, the broad church, has come back from exile. Being away from, uh, you know, from, from temple and from people and from community. Maybe your exile has been emotional. 
you felt isolated, you felt vulnerable, or you're physical or relational. Whole heaps of things have been happening over the last 20 months while we've been away. And we've come back and we're excited. But all of a sudden you're thinking, things haven't changed. My situation hasn't changed. And so, like the nation of Israel, they, you, you, you can look at this foundation and go, is this it? That's not what I was hoping for. That's not what I was believing for. That's not what I believe God promised me. And you know what? The nation of Israel, they just waited. They wept. The older generation, they wept and they waited. Yeah, you can't stop the sermon there. Because that would be the most depressing sermon ever. If we say, okay, music team up, let's go. Yeah, okay, well, great, let's weep and good luck with that. In fact, we, we mustn't stop there. And the problem is many people do. They accept this is it. All I've got is this, suck it up, make the most of it, or give up. Ezra does not want us to stop there. Next week we're going to zoom out of Ezra's story and look into God's big story. Because you're going to see every time, every single time, God promises something, He comes through. Even when we give up, you know what? God doesn't give up. Even when we are faithless, we don't believe any longer. We, 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 we just have no hope. We tell you what, God is faithful. And now the thing about Old Testament prophecies, and so Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet, they have a very limited view of what God's showing them. It's much like they're looking uh, into, a, a, uh, into a landscape or into a mountain range and they can just see the peaks of the mountains extending into the distance. And so the prophetic word does speak to often a, a near future. And so certainly for Isaiah, he was speaking 150 years into a, into a near future for when Israel would come back from exile. So the prophetic word had a very now context for them. But the prophetic word in God's, in God's prophetic word actually has a not yet context to its both. And so Isaiah, yeah, Isaiah saw 150 years into the future and God revealed to him something from there and he prophesied what's going to happen with, with the you know, timber coming from Lebanon and the, and the tradesmen and foreigners. Isaiah prophesied all that, but Isaiah's prophecy also extended beyond 150 years. His prophecy would extend, and we'll talk about this next week, and it's amazing, his prophecy would extend 500 years later when Jesus would come. And I believe that his prophecy also extends beyond 150, 500, and another 2,000 years. So that I believe the prophetic nature and word of God through Isaiah, yes, it's applicable to Ezra. Yes, it's absolutely applicable. In fact, Jesus is the center point of the prophecy. We'll talk about that next week. But also the prophetic word also applies to you and to me, to your context, whatever that context is today. Right into our brokenness into our disappointment, into our fear, into our pain. And so this morning I want to, I want to just close just by, by revisiting three verses that Isaiah and Ezra record. And I'm just going to get Sam, Sam to come up, thanks. Um, to answer your question, Jasmine, we'll, we'll close in a song in a minute. But just for now, uh, wherever Jasmine is, there, in a minute. I just want to, um, and we're going to just do the first song. And we're going to finish with a loud celebration, okay? Cool. All right.
So I want to I want to talk about a prophecy that actually Jeremiah gave, and we talked about this three weeks ago. We we raised this one. Um, Jeremiah gave the prophecy that said after seventy years you were going to return. And so Tim, can you just I just I want mean, just to just to settle their heart for a bit, because the prophetic word remember it has different mountain peaks. And Jeremiah's first prophecy that God says, and if you've been a Christian any length of time, sorry to our online people, you know this. You know this. You know this probably. You, you could probably even quote it to me. It's probably for some of you, you've got a bookmark that says it. Some of you have got a, it's stuck up on your wall on a nice poster with a, a picture of the ocean or a calendar perhaps. Jeremiah spoke to them. This Jeremiah spoke specifically. His first mountaintop was to the nation of Israel. And I want you to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. God says, For I know the plans. Oh God, you're talking about someone else. No, no, no. I'm talking about you. They are plans for good and not disaster. Well, God, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. But God is faithful to his promise. This is a promise that you can bank on. They're going to fill this out next week, but I think it's important now that you need to know God's plans for you are good, not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I want you to receive that. I know some of the stuff that's gone in your life is rubbish, painful, I know some of this you're thinking, I don't even know how this happened because everything was going so well, so good, and then all of a sudden, out of the left field, you didn't see this coming. And God says, in the midst of the not seeing it coming, let me tell you something, I have a good plan for your life. I want you to receive that. I actually want you to walk out of here knowing that God's got a good plan for me. To give me a future and a hope. It's not hopeless. You're not hopeless. The situation is not hopeless. That was Jeremiah. Isaiah. We read this one today. Isaiah. God says, not just to the nation of Israel, in Ezra's time. God says, I'm going to exchange your bronze for gold, your iron for silver, your wood for bronze. And the good thing there is your wood becomes bronze and becomes gold. Anyway, your iron for stone. Stone's for iron. What's, what's going on here? God upgrades. God, God, God takes something of yours and he makes it better. You might have a pile of wood or a, a pot, but another, another, another prophet would say turns your, your ashes into a crown. God can take whatever mess 
if you've got if you've got wood or if you've got stone God wants to transform that God wants to take that and make it something more beautiful not only that he wants to make peace your leader and righteousness your ruler you know where we do live in a world that is impacted and there's no peace especially as we head toward Christmas how good is the same prophet Isaiah would say for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will rest upon his shoulder and he shall be called Almighty God Prince of Peace I just really think there's peace. Now, again, I want that scripture. I want you to understand God wants to exchange something in your life. And it never is exchanged for something worse. It's always something better. It's also always something that is going to add value to you and bring peace to your leader and righteousness to your ruler. And then the last thing that Isaiah said, I, at the right time, at the right time. Now? No, maybe not. At the right time. At the right time. At the perfect time. At the exact time that is, is right for you. I will make it happen. You can bank on those things. You can count on those things. Why don't we pray? We're going to get the rest of our team up. We read three scriptures here. Can anyone, anyone here today say, you know, Mark, I, I, want to, I want to take hold of those scriptures for my situation. Give me a wave and you say, Mark, that's me. I'm facing a whole range of things I know. But you're, but you're saying, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to hang on to that. I'm going to hold on to God's plans. I'm going, to, I'm going to look for a, a, an exchange from God that is going to make add value to my life. And I, lastly, I'm going to trust Him at the right time, at the perfect time. He will do it. Father God, I just thank You for this morning. Lord, I thank You for... What was shared from our women yesterday, the, the importance of prophecies and holding on to the prophetic. And Lord, this morning I pray, Lord, I thank you for Isaiah, and I thank you for, for Ezra, and I thank you for Jeremiah, and I thank you for Stacy, and I thank you for those that are listening, Lord. I, I thank you that your word is truth. And I thank you that you are faithful and your love endures forever toward me. Each one of us here. And Lord, I pray for those who are taking hold of these verses. Lord, I just pray that they'll walk out of here with a great sense of knowing that you are there. And this foundation they're looking at, it's only the beginning. And you're yet to complete what you've started in Jesus' name.